0: Book One, Chapter Three of the Bostonians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Isabel Bram. The Bostonians by Henry James. Chapter Three. When he had told her that if she would take him as he was, he should be very happy to dine with her. She excused herself a moment and went to give an order in the dining room. The young man left alone looked about the parlor, the two parlors which, in their prolonged, adjacent narrowness, formed evidently one apartment, and wandered to the windows at the back, where there was a view of the water. Miss Chancellor, having the good fortune to dwell on that side of Charles Street toward which, in the rear, the afternoon sun slants redly from an horizon indented at empty intervals with wooden spires the masts of lonely boats the chimneys of dirty works over a brackish expanse of anomalous character which is too big for a river and too small for a bay the view seemed to him very picturesque though in the gathered dusk little was left of it save a cold yellow streak in the west a gleam of brown water and the reflection of the lights that had begun to show themselves in a row of houses, impressive to Ransom in their extreme modernness, which overlooked the same lagoon from a long embankment on the left, constructed of stones roughly piled. He thought this prospect, from a city-house, almost romantic, and he turned from it back to the interior, illuminated now by a lamp which the parlour-maid had placed on a table while he stood at the window, as to something still more genial and interesting. The artistic sense in Basil Ransom had not been highly cultivated. Neither, though he had passed his early years as the son of a rich man, was his conception of material comfort very definite. It consisted mainly of the vision of plenty of cigars and brandy and water and newspapers, and a cane-button armchair of the right inclination, from which he could stretch his legs. Nevertheless, it seemed to him he had never seen an interior that was so much an interior as this queer, corridor-shaped drawing-room of his new-found kinswoman. He had never felt himself in the presence of so much agonized privacy, or of so many objects that spoke of habits and tastes. Most of the people he had hitherto known had no tastes. They had a few habits, but these were not of a sort that required much upholstery he had not as yet been in many houses in new york and he had never before seen so many accessories the general character of the place struck him as bostonian this was in fact very much what he had supposed boston to be he had always heard boston was a city of culture and now there was culture in miss chancellor's tables and sofas in the books that were everywhere on little shelves like brackets as if a book were a statue in the photographs and watercolours that covered the walls, in the curtains that were festooned rather stiffly in the doorways. He looked at some of the books, and saw that his cousin read German, and his impression of the importance of this as a symptom of superiority was not diminished by the fact that he himself had mastered the tongue, knowing it contained a large literature of jurisprudence, during a long, empty, deadly summer on the plantation. It is a curious proof of a certain crude modesty inherent in Bazy Ransom that the main effect of his observing his cousin's German books was to give him an idea of the natural energy of northerners. He had noticed it often before. He had already told himself that he must count with it. It was only after much experience he made the discovery that few northerners were, in their secret soul, so energetic as he. "'Many other persons had made it before that. "'He knew very little about Miss Chancellor. "'He had come to see her only because she wrote to him. "'He would never have thought of looking her up, "'and since then there had been no one in New York "'he might ask about her. "'Therefore he could only guess that she was a rich young woman. "'Such a house, inhabited in such a way by a quiet spinster, "'implied a considerable income. "'How much?' he asked himself five thousand ten thousand fifteen thousand a year there was richness to our panting young man in the smallest of these figures he was not of a mercenary spirit but he had an immense desire for success and he had more than once reflected that a moderate capital was an aid to achievement he had seen in his younger years one of the biggest failures that history commemorates an immense national fiasco and it had implanted in his mind a deep aversion to the ineffectual. It came over him, while he waited for his hostess to reappear, that she was unmarried, as well as rich, that she was sociable, her letter had answered for that, as well as single, and he had for a moment a whimsical vision of becoming a partner in so flourishing a firm. He ground his teeth a little as he thought of the contrast of the human lot, this cushioned feminine nest made him feel unhoused and underfed such a mood however could only be momentary for he was conscious at bottom of a bigger stomach than all the culture of charles street could fill afterwards when his cousin had come back and they had gone down to dinner together where he sat facing her at a little table decorated in the middle with flowers, a position from which he had another view through a window where the curtain remained undrawn by her direction she called his attention to this it was for his benefit of the dusky empty river spotted with points of light at this period i say it was very easy for him to remark to himself that nothing would induce him to make love to such a type as that several months later in new york in conversation with mrs luna of whom he was destined to see a good deal he alluded by chance to this repast to the way her sister had placed him at table and to the remark with which she had pointed out the advantage of his seat. "'That's what they call in Boston being very thoughtful,' Mrs. Luna said, "'giving you the back bay, don't you hate the name, to look at, and then taking credit for it.' This, however, was in the future. What Basil Ransom actually perceived was that Miss Chancellor was a signal old maid. That was her quality, her destiny. Nothing could be more distinctly written." There are women who are unmarried by accident, and others who are unmarried by option, but Olive Chancellor was unmarried by every implication of her being. She was a spinster as Shelley was a lyric poet, or as the monster of August is sultry. She was so essentially a celibate, that Ransom found himself thinking of her as old, though when he came to look at her, as he said to himself, it was apparent that her years were fewer than his own. He did not dislike her she had been so friendly but little by little she gave him an uneasy feeling the sense that she could never be safe with a person who took things so hard it came over him that it was because she took things hard she had sought his acquaintance it had been because she was strenuous not because she was genial she had had in her eye and what an extraordinary eye it was not a pleasure but a duty she would expect him to be strenuous in return. But he couldn't. In private life he couldn't. Privacy for Basil Ransom consisted entirely in what he called laying off. She was not so plain on further acquaintance as she had seemed to him at first. Even a young Mississippian had culture enough to see that she was refined. Her white skin had a singular look of being drawn tightly across her face, but her features, though sharp and irregular, were delicate in a fashion that suggested good breeding. The line was perverse, but it was not poor. The curious tint of her eyes was a living colour. When she turned it upon you, you thought vaguely of the glitter of green eyes. She had absolutely no figure, and presented a certain appearance of feeling cold. With all this, there was something very modern and highly developed in her aspect, She had the advantages, as well as the drawbacks, of a nervous organization. She smiled constantly at her guest, but from the beginning to the end of dinner, though he made several remarks that he thought might prove amusing, she never once laughed. Later he saw that she was a woman without laughter. Exhilaration, if it ever visited her, was dumb. Once only, in the course of his subsequent acquaintance with her, did it find a voice, and then the sound remained in Ransom's ear, as one of the strangest he had heard. She asked him a great many questions, and made no comment on his answers, which only served to suggest to her fresh inquiries. Her shyness had quite left her. It did not come back. She had confidence enough to wish him to see that she took a great interest in him. Why should she? he wondered. He couldn't believe he was one of her kind, he was conscious of much bohemianism he drank beer in new york in saluz knew no ladies and was familiar with a variety actress certainly as she knew him better she would disapprove of him though of course he would never mention the actress nor even if necessary the beer ransom's conception of vice was purely as a series of special cases of explicable accidents not that he cared If it were a part of the Boston character to be inquiring, he would be to the last a courteous Mississippian. He would tell her about Mississippi as much as she liked. He didn't care how much he told her that the old ideas in the South were played out. She would not understand him any the better for that. She would not know how little his own views could be gathered from such a limited admission. What her sister imparted to him about her mania for reform— had left in his mouth a kind of unpleasant aftertaste. He felt, at any rate, that if she had the religion of humanity, Basil Ransom had read Kant. He had read everything. She would never understand him. He too had a private vision of reform, but the first principle of it was to reform the reformers. As they drew to the close of a meal, which, in spite of all latent incompatibilities, had gone off brilliantly. She said to him that she should have to leave him after dinner, unless perhaps he should be inclined to accompany her. She was going to a small gathering at the house of a friend, who had asked a few people interested in new ideas to meet Mrs. Farinder. Oh, thank you," said Basil Ransom. "Is it a party? I haven't been to a party since Mississippi seceded. No, Miss Belsize doesn't give parties. She's an ascetic. Oh well, we have had our dinner. "'Ransom rejoined, laughing. "'His hostess sat silent for a moment, "'with her eyes on the ground. "'She looked at such time "'as if she were hesitating greatly "'between several things she might say, "'all so important that it was difficult to choose. "'I think it might interest you,' "'she remarked presently. "'You will hear some discussion "'if you are fond of that. "'Perhaps you wouldn't agree,' "'she added, resting her strange eyes on him perhaps i shouldn't i don't agree with everything he said smiling and stroking his leg don't you care for human progress miss chancellor went on i don't know i never saw any are you going to show me some i can show you an earnest effort towards it that the most one can be sure of but i am not sure you are worthy is it something very bustonian i should like to see that said basil ransom there are movements in other cities mrs farinder goes everywhere she may speak to-night mrs farinder the celebrated yes the celebrated the great apostle of the emancipation of women she is a great friend of miss bird's-eye and who is miss Birdseye? she is one of our celebrities she is the woman in the world i suppose who has laboured most for every wise reform i think i ought to tell you miss Chancellor went on in a moment She was one of the earliest, one of the most passionate, of the old abolitionists. She had thought, indeed, she ought to tell him that, and it threw her into a little tremor of excitement to do so. Yet, if she had been afraid he would show some irritation at this news, she was disappointed at the geniality with which he exclaimed, "'Why, poor old lady, she must be quite mature!' It was therefore with some severity that she rejoined, "'She will never be old.' She's the youngest spirit I know. But if you are not in sympathy, perhaps you had better not come, she went on. In sympathy with what, dear madam? Basil Ransom asked, failing still to her perception to catch the tone of real seriousness. If, as you say, there is to be a discussion, there will be different sides, and of course one can sympathize with both. Yes, but everyone will, in his way, or in her way, plead the cause of the new truth if you don't care for them you won't go with us i tell you i haven't the least idea where they are i have never yet encountered in the world any but old truths as old as the sun and moon how can i know but do take me it's such a chance to see boston it isn't boston it's humanity miss chancellor as she made this remark rose from her chair and her movements seemed to say that she consented but before she quitted her kinsman to get ready, she observed to him that she was sure he knew what she meant. He was only pretending he didn't. "'Well, perhaps, after all, I have a general idea,' he confessed. "'But don't you see how this little reunion will give me a chance to fix it?' She lingered an instant, with her anxious face. "'Mrs. Farrinder will fix it,' she said, and she went to prepare herself it was in this poor young lady's nature to be anxious to have scruple within scruple and to forecast the consequences of things she returned in ten minutes in her bonnet which she had apparently assumed in recognition of miss bird's eye's asceticism as she stood there drawing on her gloves her visitor had fortified himself against mrs Farrinder by another glass of wine she declared to him that she quite repented of having proposed to him to go "'Something told her that he would be an unfavourable element. "'Why, is it going to be a spiritual séance?' Basil Ransom asked. "'Well, I have heard at Miss Bird's eyes some inspirational speaking.' "'Olive Chancellor was determined to look him straight in the face as she said this. "'Her sense of the way it might strike him, operated as a cogent, not as a deterrent reason. "'Why, Miss Olive, it's just got up on purpose for me.' quite the young mississippian radiant and clasping his hands she thought him very handsome as he said this but reflected that unfortunately men didn't care for the truth especially the new kinds in proportion as they were good-looking she had however a moral resource that she could always fall back upon it had already been a comfort to her on occasions of acute feeling that she hated men as a class anyway I do i want so much to see an old abolitionist i have never laid eyes on one basil ransom added of course you don't see one in the south you are too afraid of them to let them come there she was now trying to think of something she might say that would be sufficiently disagreeable to make him cease to insist on accompanying her for strange to record if anything in a person of that intense sensibility be stranger than any other Her second thought with regard to having asked him had deepened with the elapsing moments into an unreasoned terror of the effect of his presence. "'Perhaps Miss Birdseye won't like you,' she went on, as they waited for the carriage. "'I don't know. I reckon she will,' said Basil Ransom, good-humouredly. He evidently had no intention of giving up his opportunity." from the window of the dining-room at that moment they heard the carriage drive up miss birdseye lived at the south end the distance was considerable and miss chancellor had ordered a hackney-coach it being one of the advantages of living in charles street that stables were near the logic of her conduct was none of the clearest for if she had been alone she would have proceeded to her destination by the aid of the street-car not from economy for she had the good fortune not to be obliged to consult it to that degree, and not from any love of wandering about Boston at night, a kind of exposure she greatly disliked, but by reason of a theory she devotedly nursed, a theory which bade her put off invidious differences and mingle in the common life. She would have gone on foot to Boylston Street, and there she would have taken the public convenience—in her heart she loathed it—to the South End boston was full of poor girls who had to walk about at night and to squeeze into horse-cars in which every sense was displeased and why should she hold herself superior to these olive chancellor regulated her conduct on lofty principles and this is why having to know the advantage of a gentleman's protection she sent for a carriage to obliterate that patronage if they had gone together in the common way she would have seemed to owe it to him that she should be so daring and he belonged to a sex to which she wished to be under no obligations months before when she wrote to him it had been with the sense rather of putting him in debt as they rolled towards the south end side by side in a good deal of silence bouncing and bumping over the railway tracks very little less after all than if their wheels had been fitted to them and looking out on either side at rows of red houses dusky in the lamplight, with protuberant france, approached by ladders of stone. As they proceeded, with these contemplative undulations, Miss Chancellor said to her companion, with a concentrated desire to defy him as a punishment for having thrown her, she couldn't tell why, into such a tremor, "'Don't you believe, then, in the coming of a better day, in its being possible to do something for the human race?' Poor Ransom perceived the defiance and he felt rather bewildered. He wondered what type, after all, he had got hold of, and what game was being played with him. Why had she made advances if she wanted to pinch him this way? However, he was good for any game, that one as well as another, and he saw that he was in for something of which he had long desired to have a nearer view. Well, Miss Olive, he answered, putting on again his big hat, which he had been holding in his lap, "'What strikes me most is that the human race "'has got to bear its troubles.' "'That's what men say to women to make them patient "'in the position they have made for them.' "'Oh, the position of women!' Basil Ransom exclaimed. "'The position of women is to make fools of men. "'I would change my position for yours any day,' he went on. "'That's what I said to myself "'as I sat there in your elegant home.' "'He could not see, in the dimness of the carriage,' that she had flushed quickly, and he did not know that she disliked to be reminded of certain things which, for her, were mitigations of the hard feminine lot. But the passionate quaver with which, a moment later, she answered him, sufficiently assured him that he had touched her at a tender points. "'Do you make it a reproach to me that I happen to have a little money? The dearest wish of my heart is to do something with it for others, for the miserable.' Basil Ransom might have greeted this last declaration with the sympathy it deserved, might have commended the noble aspirations of his kinswoman. But what struck him rather was the oddity of so sudden a sharpness of pitch in an intercourse which, an hour of two before, had begun in perfect amity, and he burst once more into an irrepressible laugh. This made his companion feel, with intensity, how little she was joking. "'I don't know why I should care what you think,' she said. "'Don't care, don't care. What does it matter? It is not of the slightest importance.' He might say that, but it was not true. She felt that there were reasons why she should care. She had brought him into her life, and she should have to pay for it. But she wished to know the worst at once. "'Are you against our emancipation?' "'She asked, turning a white face on him "'in the momentary radiance of a street-lamp. "'Do you mean your voting and preaching "'and all that sort of thing?' "'He made this inquiry, "'but seeing how seriously she would take his answer, "'he was almost frightened and hung fire "'I will tell you when I have heard Mrs. Farinder.' "'They had arrived at the address "'given by Miss Chancellor to the coachman, "'and their vehicle stopped with a lurch. Basil Ransom got out,' "'He stood at the door with an extended hand "'to assist the young lady. "'But she seemed to hesitate. "'She sat there with her spectral face. "'You hate it!' she exclaimed in a low tone. "'Miss Birdseye will convert me,' said Ransom with intention, "'for he had grown very curious, "'and he was afraid that now, at the last, "'Miss Chancellor would prevent his entering the house.' "'She alighted without his help.' and behind her he ascended the high steps of miss birdseye's residence he had grown very curious and among the things he wanted to know was why in the world this ticklish spinster had written to him chapter three